This is Reverse Deception Radio on the Veritas Radio Network, Crusade Channel. I am an American and a Catholic. King Size Truth. I love my country and treasure my faith. From Radio Size Speakers. But I do not assume that my conception of patriotism or policy is invariably correct, or that my convictions about religion should command any greater respect than any other faith in this pluralistic society. I believe there surely is such a thing as truth, but who among us can claim a monopoly on it? There are those who do, and their own words testify to their intolerance. family is the social unit. Only by recognizing the fact that the patriarchal precedent, the village system, can we understand the jealousy with which the privacy of home is preserved in India, the sacredness of the German home with the sanctions of despotic power in its head, and the English proverb that a man's house is his castle. These are all remains of the time when families gathered in communities and the community guaranteed the sovereignty of the patriarch who ruled absolutely, yet as a father over family and servants. The village community was an aggregation of these social units, which is the basis for our government. Edgar Werner, Civil List and the Constitutional History of the Colony and State of New York, 1888. Welcome, my friends, to Reverse Deception Radio. I am your host, Junk Bond. One word, two syllables, eight letters, capital J, capital B. Broadcasting from our profoundly overt city 
owned plot of land here that is lent to me in the People's Democratic Republic of Northern Virginia. We're nestled comfortably in the warm and loving arms of the socio-Marxist principality of Prince William, and we will once again attempt to illuminate the skies of this little piece of the Union with the bright light of truth. You know, unlike Senator Kennedy in the opening piece, I believe we can know what the truth is. If I say that a tree is no longer a tree, I wish it to be a cow, well, that's not really how it works, is it? Well, what if I, I say I identify as a 28-year-old? I'd be laughed right off to the nearest mental health and hygiene facility for my own safety and benefit and the safety of those around me because I'm obviously delusional. Why then do we accept that a boy believing he is a girl as a girl and a girl who believes she's a boy as a boy? Why do we send parents to jail when their preschooler who wants to, quote, transition is not allowed to by the parents? Is there some deviation or change in the laws of physics, or is it just common sense which has been suspended? Moreover, what about a man who desires, quote, marriage to another man? On the other hand, a woman who wants to, quote, marry a woman. Are the patriarchic principles which have guided society since antiquity no longer valid or functional in the 21st century? I mean, are they just broken all of a sudden? We sit at the crossroads of our own making. It was to be a stretch of road long and prosperous laid out by our founders. But through our own evil and despotic desires, brought this upon ourselves. Consider the recent school shooting in Florida, if you would. People are demanding the federal Congress do something, which is code for make more laws. The Florida Assembly is on the hook too, as well as the governor and the county executive. And the sheriff is about out the door. But what's missing? Where's the we the people in all this. Where's the community? Why are they not engaging? And why is nearly everyone demanding a despotic government create more laws in an unchecked autocratic process which spun out of control decades ago? Don't we have enough laws already? Our communities as we know them when we were children are nearly all gone now. You don't recognize a small town anymore. It's not there. The Bon Jovi and Sugarland song, which proclaimed, Who Says You Can't Go Home, no longer applies in the 21st century of America. And that is the next step in the great American deceptionalism, the devolution of the community. Therefore, it leads to the destruction of the family. That is the logical next step of destruction. The family, which is under fire from so many different directions, is long to survive this.
Today, we're going to look at how technology and science are kicking the can down the road, per se. There's no rainbow or happy ending today. Only truth in the dystopic direction we're dragging ourselves. So the first thing we're going to cover today, the first thing we're going to talk about is how scientists have created a human-animal hybrid. We talked about this possibility on the show probably about a year and a half ago, something like that. And it's happened. There was a controversial breakthrough made in 2017 where scientists announced that they created a second successful human-animal hybrid. They had taken sheep embryos that are 0.01% human by cell count. The embryos, which were not allowed to develop past 28 days of age, put the researchers a little bit closer to, and the article says, perhaps growing human organs for medical transplants. The motivation for the research why are we doing these hybrids? Why are we taking and making part human, part animal creatures now to potentially grow human organs in pigs or sheep for transplants? This is not uncommon as sheep and pigs uh, structure and organs are not dissimilar from our own. And uh, when I went and looked up and I did some info, did some research on this, I found out that every hour there are six people in the states that are added, added to the national wait list for organ transplants. That's each day. And each day, 22 people die on a waiting list. In the U.S. alone, more than 100,000 people need heart transplants each day year. And there's only about 2,000 that receive a heart transplant. Now there's research underway that are attempting to create 3D printed organs. And these are, so far they've, they've been uh, functional and they've done them for small joints. They've done them for skin grafts. They've done them for tendons and things like that, but never full organ yet. Recently, the research started on that and they started with a heart. This is something that, again, if we don't control this type of research, it's the situation where just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And it doesn't mean that everybody should be doing it. Well, this is happening in one lab here, but it's happening in several labs in China, other labs in the United Kingdom and France. In essence, it's happening all over the world. Now, even though scientists, as I, and of course, I, I read more on this because I was 
desperately interested in finding out where we were going with this. And I've saw a couple times where scientists said that don't think that the man bear pig will be walking the earth soon. I would caution you to think that the man bear pig would not be walking the earth soon. That's a problem that we have. We've never been able to control what we do with our research. Think about it. We just had the uh, nuclear weapons review come out, a periodic review of what we're doing with our stuff and why we're doing it. And, okay, we've been doing this nuclear thing for what, 50 years now, 60 years? And we still have problems with that. Not good. That's something that should be, I mean, if, if nothing else, should have extremely tight oversight and controls in place. You know, you don't want something just popping off by chance. A few weeks ago, we were talking about how they, uh, uh, the military has these uh, backpack nukes, and they've been toting them around with special operations forces for decades. You think somebody might have wanted to tell us that? We have people wandering around here. And we, we did a show not that long ago about how many lost nukes. They just drop them. Sometimes they jettison them right in the ocean, right off the shore, off of the shore of Maine or off the shore of England. There's one off the shore of the Canary Islands they, quote, can't find. There are dozens and dozens of these devices that are just sitting out there somewhere because they were dropped, they were lost, whatever the case. All, all the different code words that we were talking about, if you remember, empty quiver was a, a lost nuke, a broken arrow was a rogue one that, was, that went off. And there's, there's several other different types of names. I'm not going to get into all of them on this show, but we can't even control those things. And now we're faced with the opportunity to create new partial humans, of course, just for body parts. For somehow, folks, I don't think we're going to end there. I don't believe that we're just going to stop at creating body parts. And why is that? Well, I'll tell you, because of the next story that I'm going to cover. And this, this is a little bit too creepy. I mean, I've done some creepy stuff on this show. Um, and we've covered some interesting things in the past, I have to admit. Now there's Swedish scientists, and you got to leave it to the Swedes. Their plan is to revive dead people. A number of Swedish scientists are researching how to produce digital copies of those that have already passed away, while simultaneously planning to set about making robots which would resemble the deceased. Again, this is working on the fallacy that we have in our mind that we have to maintain our own reality. We can't live in the reality that God's provided for us. We have to create our own reality. Reading on Phoenix, a Swedish funeral agency, Phoenix, <laughs> appropriate, will now be looking for volunteers who will allow scientists to replicate the image 
of their deceased relatives. The technology is expected to, quote, reconstruct voices of those dead, as well as teach the computer program to answer elementary questions, such as those connected with funeral arrangements, unquote. So they're going to be taking, and the, the article talks about how they're taking all of the information from all of the uh, social media, online uh, folders, files, anything that's available, and they'll take and fine-tune the audio so that it sounds like the deceased person's voice. I guess you'll have to figure out what age you want them to be uh, for eternity. So, and again, this is this is something that we're we're doing to ourselves because we can't face reality. We can't accept the fact that we're all going to die one day. And God has a plan. We're here to do what. God wants us to do. Some of us do it better than others. But we're all here, not for us, we're here for God. And now, we can't even accept the fact that God wants us to move on. And you're going to go to purgatory, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to heaven, wherever you're going to go. There's a bus stop with your name on it. But don't worry about it. You know what? You're not going to have to address that because you can have all the people that you want right around you. Now, this is not dissimilar from what's called the 2045 project. And in the 2045 project, you'll see that they want to actually take the essence of the brain, the information that goes back and forth, the functionality of the brain, the stuff that gives you personality, the, 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 it, it's, it's the reasoning aspect and functionality of the brain. They want to take all of this and project it into a hologram by the year 2045. Now, they've already taken and made great strides and gone surpassed their first milestone by three and a half years. Their second milestone is 2025. But they're already three years ahead of where they thought they would be at this point in the research. So have no fear if you, if you felt like you couldn't deal with death because you're a millennial or you're an older person or whoever you are and you can't deal with the thought of death, then if you can make it to 2042, at the rate they're going, in 2042, all the information in your brain can be taken and put into a chip that, well, not actually, not even a chip. It's actually, it exists in the hologram itself. The data is stored on the hologram. So keep that in the back of your mind as you start to move forward. Uh, in the article here, philosophically and theologically speaking, when people die, they die forever. Well, yes. The digital clone would essentially be a carbon copy 
that relatives would use to fool them into believing their loved ones are still alive. Think of it as a very sophisticated photo that keeps that people keep around as reminders. There it is right there. You're, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. Hi, good morning. How are you? Great. How are you? Well, I'm doing terrible. Wait, why'd you say you were doing great? Oh, we expect people to lie to us. We expect ourselves to lie to us. We do. When we lie to each other, right? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you really doing great? Or are you just saying you're doing great? No. I'm just saying it. Okay. Same thing here. You want to be fooled. You can't face reality. You have to hide. It's a really scary thing. And you've seen this type of stuff in numerous science fiction movies. I mean, as far back as the Twilight Zone, I remember an episode of the Twilight Zone where kid's mom had passed away and they went into this robot factory and they were able to create and build the mom who had died. And she stayed there with them until they went through college and everything. And I, I don't. Just, wow, really crazy, huh? So um, uh, back to the article again real quick. The, uh, the really scary part, the stuff, uh, the stuff numerous science fiction works have uh, explored is when the scientists can create a robot that resembles the deceased and animates them through a download of the visual replica. People will be tricked into thinking they've achieved immortality when all they've achieved is high-efficiency human Xeroxing. Moving on to the next article, and this is just to close up the first article, uh, and then we're going to move to the next article, and you'll see, again, and, if you, and follow me, folks. You understand how this stuff undermines the sense of community, the sense of a family. You can artificially manipulate the members of your family into existence. Really? Is that really God's plan? Oof. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, meanwhile, the sex bot trade or the sex robot trade is skyrocketing to unimaginable levels and is poised to become another cultural plague worse than porn. Polls have been conducted to see where the public's sensibilities lie regarding such use. It turns out that many people in Britain, roughly 36%, have no trouble with the idea of getting together with a robot. And that brings us to the next article, which is the first sex doll-only brothel opens in Germany. The bizarre craze has been sweeping across Europe, got to Germany uh, with the country's first sex doll only brothel opening for business recently. The proprietor uh, runs the aptly named Bordal and has 11, 11 different unique, quote, dolls there and has been turning a huge profit already. 
Now, what, and I'm, I'll ask the rhetorical question, but what in the heck is wrong with these people? She said most of the people that come in see it as a toy and not as a human. Well, they're not humans. And there's something that there's something that there's a threshold that you get to in society, right? When you, you just realize that something's got to happen in a big kind of a way or else the plug is pulled and the bottom is just going to fall right out of this thing. I think this is where we're at. We're talking about having robots, AI robots, and some that are, are low intelligent robots or no intelligent robots just around for sexual pleasure in a brothel in, in my, you know, in, in all my years, I never, I never even thought of something like that. I, I can't think of anybody who would think of something like that. Even all the science fiction stuff that I read when I was a kid, nothing ever even approached anything like that. It's, it's just completely, uh, so foreign to anything that I would ever think of. And now this is what's going to become the norm throughout Europe. So we have boys that think they're girls, girls that think they're boys, robots for sex. And we have the destruction of a community And we have hybrid humans and animals being created. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how there would be uh, hybrid human and robot. Well, here is the full circle now. Well, it'll be full circle once we start to crossbreed with plants. I guess the first, if you're going to take something and crossbreed it with a human, you might as well take the Venus flytrap because that just kind of matches our personality as people these days, I'd have to say. We're pretty vicious and we just uh, like to gobble everything down in one bite. And talking about one bite, did you realize that it's been, what, three years now? And yeah, about three years. And what have we heard from the Zika virus? The virus that was going to take over and destroy North America. Everyone was going to get sick from it. Everybody's kid was going to be sick from it. What happened? What happened to this flavivirus? Well, now they have it and they have it in laboratories. The glioblastoma is the most prevalent primary brain tumor that you could have. And you can go through surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. They still remain lethal. You can't get rid of them. Researchers have found that if you take part of the Zika virus, and put it in contact with the glioblastoma, it will kill the cancer cells. Mm -hmm, that's right. See, these, this uh, glioblastoma does not metastasize 
out of the central nervous system. It just stays where it's at, just grows and stays where it's at. It's very different from many other lethal types of cancer. When they started doing this research back in, say, about 2009, 2008, I think it was. Let me check. No. Articles is 2009. When they started doing the research, they noticed the strange properties of the glioblastoma reacting with the Zika virus in a strange way. And what it did was it staggered the life. It's it kind of like uh, you ever get punched in the stomach when you're a kid, just kind of left it there like can't breathe, can't do anything. And everything stopped for a bit when he came in contact with the Zika virus. Well, if they found out later on that if they just take and they introduce uh, certain enzymes associated with the Zika into the glioblastomas, it would actually take the, uh, the tumors and kill them. So for all the people out there that were concerned about Zika, just think of it this way. Zika is now our friend. And for every other virus that's out there, there's there's a good purpose for stuff. We don't we don't know what they all are, but I do know that not everything is as bad as we say it is. But back from the sidebar, back to the uh, uh, the talk on family, and one of the things I want to talk about is the gender differences and how men and women look at things. And one of the things that happened, there was a recent, uh, uh, there was some uh, uh, research just released uh, from the Pew Research Center. And they say that men and women basically think that they have a different expression of feelings. Why is that? Women say it's more based on society, and men say it's more based on biology. And it's interesting that this feeling is not uh, it's not realized until we start talking about millennials. Before that, men and women almost straight down straight down the line realize that realize that biological differences were the differences were the, were the reason for the differences in how men and women women did things for example the reason for the difference in physical abilities 18% of the men said it's because of society not because of biology that means 82% of them realized that it was a biological difference. Women, on the other hand, 26% believed it was from society that women were different and it had nothing to do with biology whatsoever. If you compare that to what we call the silent generation, the ones before the baby boomers, that's almost 100% of everyone 
realized that the differences between men and women were because of biology. Another interesting thing was how men and women express their feelings. 54% of men say it's because of biology and 32% of women say it's biology. So emotion drives decisions in women, as far as women believe, at 67%. And men, only 46% believe that's how it works. But aren't emotions actually part of a biological and social combination? You know what? Never mind. I didn't do the study. But I do know that when you look at the results in what's called the silent generation, the 72 to 89-year-olds, consistently across the board, they recognize the biological differences in men and women. It's only when you get to the point of talking to the millennials, the 18 to 36, and even the generation Xers, 37 to 52 years old, there is a huge difference. Millennial men, more likely to throw a punch if they're provoked. Almost 70% said they would. Now, almost 98% of those that 70% probably couldn't defend themselves, but that's another story. Generation Xers were not that far behind. And then you get down to the lower numbers of the boomers and the silent generation. They're around the silent generation, 34%, only 34%. They're smart enough to hold themselves and stay back and not engage immediately. There's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for the mentality and the understanding in why and how we do things. And there's also a huge, dare I say it, there's also a huge partisan political gap. That's right. <laughs> Out of Republicans who say that, you know, what percentage of society looks up to a masculine men and says that's good? 78% of Republicans said that's good. And 20% said it's bad. And when you look at the Democrats, the percent who say that looking up to a masculine man and says it's good is 49% and bad is 48%. Can't even identify someone who's masculine as a male to be a good role model. It doesn't happen anymore. And of course, this breaks breaks down, of course, uh, uh, ethnic and racial lines and things like that, too. There's a whole bunch of other information here. It's a great study. You should get it. Uh, you can get it from the Pew Research Center and look through it. Uh, but I would tell you that it shows that we are moving away from the traditional thought process of who we are. And there's lots of reasons for that. And there's lots of theories about what that's all about, too. One such I'd like to address 
is the massive and extensive use of birth control pills. Now, some people may know, others may not know that they're made up of synthetic hormones. One is a synthetic hormone of estrogen, which is estradiol. And then the other is progesterone, which is progestin. And so what is a hormone? In short, it's a, it's a messenger. It's a chemical messenger. And it transports a signal from one cell in your body to another. So if the hormones are messengers, it's, they're telling your body what to do, how to act, how to react. And if you introduce this, then you're really overriding what your body's telling itself. You know, analysis done not that long ago, a pooled analysis of data from more than 50 studies found that while women who were taking the birth control pills and shortly thereafter, they had a 10 to 30 percent higher risk of breast cancer than women who had never used the pill at all. Once women stopped taking the pill, their risk began to decrease after about 10 years. And it returned to that of women who had never taken the pill at all. The drug-induced nutrient depletion handbook says that oral contraceptives cause the following deficiencies. Zinc, magnesium, selenium, vitamin C, vitamins B2, B3, B6, B12, and folate. The deficiencies can occur, can occur because the liver uses more of the nutrients to metabolize estrogen and detoxify it out of the body. Remember, not all estrogen is metabolized, and it has to be expelled from the body, especially because it's estradiol. It is a synthetic estrogen. It is not estrogen itself. Additionally, recent study shows that infant range damage can be caused by a deficiency of B vitamin and folic acid. Taking estrogen, as in the birth control, as in the level that's in the birth control, depletes the body's supply of folic acid so that if pregnancy does occur right after stopping the pills, it's more likely to lead to miscarriage or deformity from folic acid deficiency. The pill confirms this by addressing it on their warning label. Serum folate levels may be depressed by oral contraceptive therapy. This is of clinical significance if a woman becomes pregnant shortly after discontinuing oral contraceptives. Now, in the study, they didn't say exactly what short-term was, but they did say shortly after discontinuing. So 50 years of taking the pill and we yet to have one long-term study on the effects of increased estrogen and progesterone in the body. I just spent some extra time this morning scouring through the medical scholarly articles looking for something that was a long-term study 
of taking the pill, and I wasn't able to find one. And partially because it's the work that I'm doing for my doctoral work, but I figured I'd take a look and try to inform you folks that, yes, there is a study out there, and this is what it says, but unfortunately, I cannot say that. I have not found one. I'm not going to say there is none. I'm going to say that I haven't found it yet. But if I do find one, I will share it with you and let you know. So please understand that this is something that over time, that unmetabolized estrogen builds up. Because outside the body, it doesn't get metabolized any further. That's why it has to be expelled out of the body if it can't be used. It's like vitamin C. You can only take, you can take X number of uh, international units of vitamin C, I think it's 500. Your body can only absorb like 300. And you can, you can take as much as you want, but the rest of it's just going to come right out. It can only use so much in a 24-hour period. The same thing with the estrogen and the progesterone. So when it comes out, where does it go? It goes back into our water supply, folks. That's where it goes. Think about it. That's how you get rid of it. That's where it goes, back into the water supply. And because the hormone is so small, it is basically, a, it defeats the filters that are in the water purification systems. Numerous studies have shown increased hormone levels in the water that we drink. This has happened over the last 30 years. There is long-term evidence that there is a problem with higher hormone levels. Now, I, I wonder if I looked at the map and I said, okay, these are the areas where they, they, the amorphous they, right? Sorry about that. This is the area where higher hormone levels have been seen while condu conducting scientific research. And these are the areas where more children have decided that they're a different sex. I wonder how that would be an overlay on top of each other. Would that match pretty much? We've already learned that fish can be confused into thinking that they're a different sex just from the increased hormone levels that have been found in some of the ponds and rivers. Would it be that counterintuitive to think that humans are immune to this? Would that be? Yeah, we're immune to it. No, that would be very counterintuitive, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would. We're probably just as susceptible as the fish are. And God knows how many other animals. Yes, it's being researched right now. And boy, does that really affect the family when you have kids who think they're a different sex than what they really are. That gets right down to the heart of a family, destroying the children. Because that's what it does. It destroys them for life. That four-year-old, that pre-K four-year-old in England, whose parents were thrown in the slammer because they wouldn't allow the transition surgery. Four years old. 
This kid's got 17 years to go before he could drink. And yet, he's old enough to make a decision about having a major surgery to completely destroy his life. That's that's too far. The kids are being attacked from every aspect. So don't think for a minute that you can passively sit down and allow this stuff to continue. You really can't. You really have to become involved. What if it was your kid that was, quote, in need of transitioning? What's, what's the answer there? What do you do? Do you support them like a loving parent? Or do you give them a kick in the butt and you straighten them out? I think a few more kicks in the butt would have been a little bit better. And off to the junk bond done told you so file uh, to close out the show today. Uh, something a little more uh, abstract and out of this earth or out of this world, I guess I'd say. We look, let's just say, we look at things that are made and we say, wow, that's great. That phone is great. That's a super awesome tool that was developed. And Junk Bond sits over here and says, yeah, what you talking about, Willis? I told you that thing, man. Government had cell phones since 1940s. Hmm. All right. Internet. Oh, that thing's great. It's wonderful. Uh, what you talking about, Willis? Government had that since the 60s. Hmm. All right. And numerous other things. Well, here, may I please present to you the United States patent application published in 2001 for hurricane and tornado control device. Abstract. A method is disclosed for affecting the formation and or direction of a low atmospheric weather system. Audio generators are positioned to project sound waves towards a peripheral area of a weather system. The sound waves are generated at a frequency to affect the formation of the weather system in a manner to disrupt enhance or direct the formation. The sound waves can also be projected in a manner to cause the system to produce rain. Now, that's just the abstract. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. It would take, well, it would take a very long time because <laughs> these things are pretty involved. But the bottom line is this inventor uh, whose uh, his name was what is it it is Waxmansky that's it Andrew Waxmansky who coincidentally shows up on page 1860 of the New York Times December 25th 2011 politics version in the Clinton Foundation donor database not saying just saying, has developed a way to manipulate the weather. It was filed November 2nd, 2001. 
And because this was probably crazy as can be and didn't work, the publication date was May 8, 2003. No, folks, that means the stinking thing works. All those folks out there who says, no, nah, the government can't manipulate the weather and stuff. Well, guess what? It's right here, black and white. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You contaminated the whole place. Yes, somebody who is a friend of the Clintons devised a way to control the weather. And for a real out of the world, I'm just going to close with this. And I, and <laughs> I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, out of uh, Journal, the Nature uh, Journal, the Nature, ah, the Journal Nature. Excuse me. Uh, scientists conclude that octopus octopus DNA is not from this world. That's right. Out of the 33,000 protein coding genes identified. They don't match up to anything that's known in this world. Humans have about 32,000 protein coding combinations. Octopus has more. And they don't match up to anything. And I'll let you ponder that. For Reverse Deception Radio, I'm your host, Gregory Carpenter. God bless you all and have a blessed day. Deception Radio on the Veritas Radio Network, Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Don't hack like my son, and don't hack like my dad. Da-da-da-da.